Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Coffee and Sports. It's the morning show here on Sports Empire Network. I am Chris, and that is Mo. Mo, how are you this morning, sir? Doing well on a Thursday, Chris. Getting ready to talk sports with you. So before we jump in, let's get to some of the quick headlines happening around the world of sports. We start with Messi being normal, human. He had his first scoreless game. And it's crazy to talk about because I'm sure that happens all the time in the world of soccer, Mo. But the first time it's happened for Messi. So Messi finally has a game where he isn't superhuman. So it's good to see, Mo, that even some of the most talented and greatest people in the world can just be like you and me. Because if I played soccer, I'd have a bunch of scoreless games. So you and me both. I feel a little better knowing that this morning. Uh, Mo, 92,000 plus fans at Nebraska women's volleyball. That is that that's something. That that's is amazing. something. 92,000. I, I don't know the history, Mo, and may, maybe I should. Uh, maybe I should know the history of the Nebraska women's volleyball program because clearly they are doing something right if they are drawing 92,000 plus fans. I think there's some pro teams that can't draw 92,000 plus fans. That is that is 100% correct, Mo. So props to whatever is going on with Nebraska women's volleyball because clearly uh, they are doing something right. Quick update on the Wander Franco situation. The investigation through Major League Baseball continues. Um, unfortunately, some additional allegations have come out through the Dominican public investigation. Apparently, he is now being linked to two other young females as well. Um, MLB has no timetable for when that investigation will be complete. However, it was noted, and Mo, I, I would like to get your take on this real quick. At the end of all that, so they, they talk about how MLB is still investigating it. He's still on the list where he can't do anything. They talk about the new allegations in the uh, Dominican Republic. And then they, they end the little, the little news tidbit with no decision has been made thus far involving his eligibility for the Major League Baseball playoffs. Really? With more allegations? Right. You're not sure? What, like, whether or not they prove to be true, on top of the ones that he already had, there are more allegations. I think it should be be pretty clear. He's probably not. He shouldn't be playing. That's right. for sure. Right. Not until that's resolved. He shouldn't be playing. And I get it. I, I get that. And, and I, I'm sure it was just factual reporting. And the, the fact being that no one has officially commented on whether or not he'll be, you know, barred from playing in the postseason. So I, I get that that's factual reporting. But really, like, time, time and place, Mo, like, I, I think most people understand he's probably not playing baseball again, much less baseball this season. Right. So I, I don't even know why we, we need to throw that in there. But, hey, it was mentioned as part of it, so there we go. Uh, wrapping up our headlines, the New England Patriots, they brought back both their quarterbacks, Mo. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think they were going to get both back. I thought they would get one back, but they bring back both Zappi. I believe Cunningham is, is the other one. So it's, it's not just Mac Jones' world out there in Patriot Town. They at least have other things happening in, I guess you can call it the quarterback room. I don't know. Do, do practice squad guys, are they allowed in the quarterback room? Oh. It's, a, it's definitely a different vibe, the practice <laughs> squad guys. So what teams I, will do to cut, cut a dollar, right? To cut right, money, right? Right, 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 right. 
Uh, NFL NBA preseason schedule has been released, and the NHL schedule on TNT has also been released. But Mo, <clears throat> let's start the show with this. We we actually we glazed over this earlier in the week. There were some comments that were made by Jim Harbaugh, and Jim Harbaugh he he does this fun thing, Mo, and I I, I appreciate it sometimes. Other times I find it annoying, but it's it's very um, Nick Saban esque where. Sometimes Harbaugh or Saban will go into a press conference, whether it be after a practice, whether it be before a game, whether it be after a game. And you know right away they came to that press conference looking to talk about something very specific that has nothing to do with the actual reason why the press conference is taking place. And that's what Jim Harbaugh did earlier this week when he went on a six and a half minute diatribe on Provoked. He wasn't asked a question about it. He just opened up and just started spewing his thoughts about NIL, about being an advocate for the student athlete, about <clears throat> the need for the game to evolve, about how college football and college athletics in general is a billion-dollar business, and these kids need a bigger piece of the pie. And it was a lot of grandstanding, in my opinion, Mo. And it was a lot of big thoughts. And not attached to those big thoughts were any semblance of process or what it would look like in a world where he was saying a lot of the things that he was saying. And Mo, before we get your thoughts, we're going to bring JG into the conversation here because we love the mornings when JG is able to join us. JG, how are you, sir? What's morning, going? guys. How y'all guys doing? Good, good. No, we're just starting off the morning talking a little, little, little college athletics here and uh, the comments that Harbaugh made. So, JG, let me start with you. Just kind of what did you think of the diatribe in general? Obviously, it kind of came out of left field. Um, I, I personally feel like he was just trying to position himself as a champion of the players for seemingly no reason. Um, this is a conversation that's been happening in college athletics for a couple years now. Um, but when we thought NIL was going to happen, when it did happen, as we've gone through the process of what NIL currently looks like. So it's not like it's, it's not a relevant conversation. Um, I just question the relevance of why he was having it in the moment that he was having it when no one asked him about it. I'll go a step further. Uh, he's been in a little bit of a battle right now with the suspension with the NCAA. This is more of, I'm going to burn you down, NCAA. You know, hey, I, nobody asked me this question. But I'm going to go ahead and say that you have no clue what you're doing with the NIL. You kind of have been taken advantage of by the politicians to force you to do this. And I'm going to do another – I'm going to go a step further and say just because players are making NIL money now – you as the NCA should pay the school, uh, pay pay players, or we should find a way to pay players. To so it was more of I, I, I'd take Harbaugh because again he's in a battle right now that you know with the the suspension and how the rules of uh, uh, of recruiting was taking place during COVID. It, you know, and they weren't they wanted him to lie by admitting he lied uh, during that time period, and and this is more of all right. I'm gonna give you the middle finger by speaking against you even more with the, the the amount of money that you make on us schools, that the schools that we make on our players and they don't get a dime of the revenue side of it. That's where I've take that he's going a little, he, he's just provoke, he's poking the bear, 
provoking them as much as possible while he's walking out the door for his three-game suspension. Mo, did you have any issue with the tact he took during his diatribe? Um, We'll get a little more into the NIL side of it in a second. But just looking at Harbaugh's comments in general and the fact that he was using his platform in that moment to kind of call out the NCAA, like JG said, and kind of just insinuate that the players need a bigger piece or they need more of the pie than they're currently getting. Any issue with that foundation? No, I didn't have any issue with that. I mean, but you know how Jim Harbaugh is. He's known as a mad scientist. Sometimes when I listen to him talk, he's more mad than anything. But it, it isn't that he didn't make real points, but JG hit on it. Jim Harbaugh is more on that. Well, I'm already in trouble. How much more trouble can I get into? Like, I'm already in trouble. So you're going to you gonna double up on that trouble? So I might as well say a lot of the things that I've been wanting to say for the longest time since I'm already in trouble. And I, and I think he went there for that reason. I think he felt emboldened in that moment. So whether it was for that reason or not, I'm with him. They do need to find a way to pay these college athletes. It should have been done a long time ago. So I have no problem with the platform he's on. I just know that he has a way, even when he's speaking out for you, of making it about him. Now, JG, the his his conversation sparked two sides. Obviously, there is the side that says, yes, they need a bigger piece. They should be involved in all of this. The reason that people are tuning in to watch some of these games, it, some of it's because of the team, but a lot of it's because of the players. That's the one side. The other side that came out of this was, well, hang on. It's one thing to say they need more, but then when you don't necessarily give a roadmap to what that looks like, you know, that that's kind of not responsible. Just say, give them more. Like, what does that mean? And then this conversation always comes up, JG, when we're talking about NCAA students getting a bigger piece of the pie. And it's the conversation of, well, hang on. They're getting their NIL money now. But besides that, what are they also getting? They're getting an education. They're getting, if they if they are a D1 athlete, they're getting all the perks of being a D1 athlete. They're not paying for travel. They're not paying for their board. Um, they're probably not really paying for meals. They're not paying for the facilities that they have access to. Um, yes, they're paying taxes on their NIL money, but they're definitely not paying taxes on all the perks if you were to add those up and turn that into a monetary amount. Because again, if you want to make it a business, the argument is when it's a business, there's a monetary value attached to everything. So right now, you know, we're we're going to tax you for your NIL money, but the rest of the stuff we're going to say, well, you're, you're, you're part of the school. You're a student, you're a student athlete. It just comes with the territory. But if you want to go full business side, well, all that stuff now could potentially have a monetary value. So you get into the side of, is that the route we should be going? Where where do you kind of fall on this split, JG? Because there there isn't a middle, it doesn't seem. You're either all the way over here where students need more, give them more, or you're all the way over here of, well, let's not discount the, the free stuff they're already getting. So and this is the this is the stance I have on this with the NCAA and 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 athletes being I, I came up actually about 10 years ago, I wrote an article uh, when I was in school uh, about how athletes should be getting paid by their endorsements, by their name, image, and likeness. I, you know, and I got, I've been trying to find that article uh, that I wrote again, it was way before the NIL even came out and everything. 
we focus on the big on the big product, college football, big schools in college football, LSU, Alabama, Florida, USC, Texas, Texas A&M, the schools that make the millions and millions and millions of dollars. What we don't put focus and emphasis in is to the NCAA Division II, NCAA Division III, which NCAA Division III, they don't give athletic scholarships to athletes. They, that is one of the levels that do not give uh, athletic scholarships. Then you throw into the non-revenue sports where they're losing money. That, that The athletic department is loses money when you have non-revenue sports. And if you have to go into the, you know, dig deep into soccer or you know volleyball, uh, softball, uh, gymnastics, and and I'm and not trying to just throw women's sports out there, but that is the reality that you know a lot of the women's sports don't make money. Baseball, I'll throw baseball out there. Being a baseball guy myself, we're considered in, in most cases a non-revenue sport. So if you're a non-revenue sport, how do you pay the athletes revenue sharing if that if they don't make money and you're costing your school money? So I, I I don't like the revenue sharing uh, conversation because we're only focusing on one on one sport, and it's only the Power Five really team talked about in that aspect of because the bigger the smaller schools don't make millions and millions of dollars. You know you have schools that that you know again we we focus on LSU just because that's my school hundred hundred thousand people show up a game. But if you go to a small D2 or, uh, or D3 school, you're getting 5,000 people. You're not making – and they're not on ESPN. And, you know, Division Two or Division One AA, they're not on ESPN until the playoff championship game. You know, you're not – like, you're not finding them on TV. So you're not getting TV revenue. So what are you sharing with these guys? You, you know, so I, I, they're, they're, you're, you're only focusing on – the bigger school again, Michigan was using hardball, Michigan, 100, 500, 800, 10,000 people show up to watch them play. They're on ESPN. They have the big 10 network. They have, you know, you know, everything you can think of. So yeah, the millions of dollars that they're going to be making off of that and everybody in the big 10. Yeah, of course, share that if you want to, because that just means more you know, money's coming out of your pocket to go pay with those guys, but not everybody can do that. LSU's football program. So I just talked about the non-revenue sports LSU's football program. They actually cut out a piece of their own revenue pie to pay the bills of the non-revenue sports. And that's like, and then they also actually go a step further. And that's why I do love LSU. They take a, a cut of their own of the revenue pie for football. And they every year they say, all right, we're gonna pay five million dollars to an academic program at the school to assure that they have the funding they need. So not only does the LSU's football program pay the non-revenue sports to keep them going, but they also do pay an academic program uh, as well. And a lot of, and I'm not putting LSU on the, a lot of the big schools do that. So the question I have again for Harbaugh is, what do the non-revenue sports do? You know, everything you have to do for football. Guess what? You have to do with Title Nine. Title Nine assures what you do with one sport has to do with the other sports. What you do with the men's sports, you have to do with the women's sports. And women's sports don't make money or they don't make a lot of money. You know, so how do you balance out the revenue sharing if you're a non-revenue sport? Well, you, you can't. NIL, letting athletes market themselves with endorsements, let them market themselves with sponsorships. That is the best and only way to make this fair for everybody. 
I mean, because again, gymnastics athletes get to do it. We're seeing Angel Reese and Livy Dunn again. I'm talking about LSU, they are the highest gross women athletes right now on uh, in, in social media, doing everything they can. Let them market themselves and NIL based off of endorsements, sponsorships, and everything they can do on their own. Schools shouldn't, and they can't. I, I'm not saying they shouldn't. Some schools can, but they but they sh- shouldn't have to do that because they're funding a lot of their own programs. People don't talk about that. They're funding the non-revenue sports with football. Let you know, just let these athletes find a way to be able to market themselves. Make like, don't put a cap on it. I hate the boosters part of this, where the boosters are buying. That's a whole different argument that I want to, that, that we can have a conversation on. But let them market themselves. Let them do their endorsements. Let them do their sponsorships and make as much money as possible based off that, because that's what they're supposed to be doing right now. And Mo, since JG opened that door, that's the other side of the NIL conversation. The, the initial side, the the good side, like JG said, is let these kids who are building their own brand, who are putting the work in because student athletes put the work in, regardless of what sport you're doing. If you are a D1 athlete, you're putting the work in. Now, you might see it more in a sport like football just because there's more opportunities to see it. But regardless of your sport, if you're putting the work in and someone wants to pay you to represent their product or whatever the case might be, good for you. Like you, you've earned that to a certain extent. So the good side of this is reap the benefit of what you've earned. The other side of this, Mo, is when a school says, hey, you're a five star. I know that you got ties to Alabama because your dad went there and they've been, they've been recruiting you since you were in sixth grade. And I know that we didn't come into the picture until eighth grade. So we're, we're two years behind on giving you the love. But we'll give you an extra $3 million if you come to us. And now you have this idea that schools are paying to get players to essentially sign on with them. Do you have an issue with that? Do you have an issue with a school? Because let's be honest, not even, even once you get to the, the echelon, echelon of these college football programs, they all don't have the money to spend the same way. And that, that's one of the things that we've heard Nick Saban essentially cry about. He's essentially upset that, yeah, Alabama has money. Alabama can do a lot of things, but maybe Alabama can't pay for a player to come to them the way a Georgia can. Maybe their funds just aren't set up that way. Or maybe they can for a couple, but there's other schools that can do it for three or four more. So now Alabama, which was getting all the prospects before, now they're losing a couple guys. Just because either they can't pay that kid three or four million, or they don't want to pay that kid three or four million because they don't want to pay every kid that comes there, right. you know, money to come there. They want kids just to be there because they want to go to Alabama, roll tide, baby. So, what what does it look like in in your opinion with that aspect of it? I don't have a problem with schools who have the assets to pursue an athlete. Um, to come to their school and be part of their program in a monetary way. Look, Nick Nick Saban's crying. He's crying wolf because schools who might not be as prestigious as Alabama are drawing five-star players now. The the field is leveling a little bit, and he can't stand that. He's the only one. I mean, he's not the only one complaining, but he's the biggest complainer. And like you said, I don't think Alabama is lacking in funds to pay athletes the problem is Nick Saban is like, I'm not going to pay everybody to come here as a five-star. It's Alabama. You come here because it's Alabama. 
And and guess what? A lot of guys will do that. But there are going to be other guys that are going to go like, not if I go to Wisconsin and they're going to offer me $2 million and help me build up my brand through NIL, they're, they're going to go to Wisconsin. Look, I, I'm all for student athletes getting as much money as they can while they're going through their college experience. Because for a lot of them, and you can appreciate this, Chris, for a lot of them, this may be their pinnacle. Not everybody goes on to have a 10 or 15 year career in their preferred sport or ends up being a star who makes millions of dollars. Some people, it ends for them maybe in, in, in training camp in football or training camp in basketball. They just don't make the next level. So if they're able to get an education and actually save up money that can help them down the road in the future, I'm all for it. So I, I have no problem with that at all. It, it To me, when I hear Harbaugh talk, he sounds concerned, but at the same time, doesn't this always go back to, like JG said, the rich just get richer. They're not really concerned about the lower tier colleges, D3 and all that. They don't care. They're really, it's really about the higher ups, like the 1% of the 1%. JG, do you see, and, and Mo touched on this a little bit, do you think this helps in, in, a, in a world where there's, there's not a lot of parity? Right. Like if, if you look back at college sports 40 or 50 years ago and you were like, who are the big schools back then? It's many of the same names that you see there today. Like or Oregon's kind of become a power in the last 30 or so years because of Nike. They weren't really a, a big name in the world of college sports 60 years ago. But it, the, the powers that were to be are still basically the powers to be. Is this idea of not every well, not every five star is going to go to Alabama, or not every five star is going to go to LSU because some of these other schools that are maybe on the fringe of the national championship conversation, they can throw some money at players and they can get a big name recruit in there, which is going to help their program because normally that big name recruit would be at one of four schools. Well, now. He might be at one of 11 schools because 11 schools can potentially offer him money where he'll be like, I can get the money and the name recognition. I can still do what I got to do. I don't just have to go to one of these three schools to do it. Do you think it's helping the sport? Do you think it's not making an impact at all in the, in the big scheme of things? Where is this whole pay players to come to you going to shake out five years from now? Well, th this is where I, I throw in the stars Harbaugh talking about revenue sharing. The Big Ten as a whole in the in, in 2022 brought in 845 million in revenue. SEC was second with 802 million. That's 58.8 million to each Big Ten school, 49.9 million to each SEC school. They are the two richest conferences. And what, what, what conferences uh, Harbaugh coach in? Probably coaches in the Big Ten. So of course the revenue sharing. So to answer the question as far as prepared. This is to there, there would be no pair if you have revenue sharing for conferences and you're telling me that, hey, well, the Pac-12, we don't even know what the Pac-12 is anymore. Pac-12's revenue is going to be is going to be dropping faster than faster than you can even even sneeze because of what's going on with them. So how how is that going to be if we're talking about fair and equitable? How is the Pac-12 going to survive by saying, well, OK, you're going to have to pay out of your own revenue, your own athletes? Well, you don't have the money to do that. Who who has the money? Well, it's the Big Ten and the SEC. And me, I'm an SEC guy. I would be okay, sure, awesome. But if we're not, if we're talking about in the grand scheme of the whole, this that would kill parity. That would not allow the Pac-12 to survive. It wouldn't allow the ACC to survive. It, the Big Twelve again. You, you have the two the two biggest team, uh, mar, you know, markets or the two biggest teams 
or brands in the Big uh, Big 12, where are they going? Well, they're going to the SEC and that's Texas and Oklahoma after Texas A&M left, you know, a, a decade ago to the SEC. So who are you marketing the revenue for? Or who are you marketing in the Big 12? Oklahoma State? No. TCU? No. I mean, so – this is this this idea of Harbaugh. Is, it, it would basically just to say, well, hey, the Big Ten because we are the richest now. We we make more money than the SEC. We would be kings if we would have to if we have to share revenue because we make the most money. We can dull out the most money to these players to do so. It would absolutely kill any opportunity to have parity in the in in college sports. It would kill any opportunity to have conferences. The, the, the to a, you know, basically you would have the two super conferences, which and I've talked to you about, which I, I'm hoping all this stuff that's going on will kill the NCAA because they just absolutely have no clue what they're doing. They they have allowed the realignment. They have allowed the NIL. They have allowed everything to spiral out of their own control. And they have no idea what they're doing to to get control of it. It's beyond it's beyond that. You, you're focusing so much. And I'm talking about for hardball here. Focusing so much on your own house, which again, at the end of the day, Harbaugh's not even going to be in the Big Ten much longer. I think, as I say, I'm talking about as far as he's just making shots at the NCAA, he's going to be gone after this year. So he's just he's just stirring the pot and be able to do this. But you know, but saying that revenue sharing is the is the key to to helping athletes. No, it's it's the key to making the rich richer. It's the key to keep the Big Ten at the top and be able to because again, their biggest competition is the SEC. They make more money than the SEC, and the SEC still dominates them in football. If we go about that, they're still dominating them in other sports, in baseball, basketball. You're still getting dominated in those sports, and you have to find ways to at least level the playing field to where you no longer are level. You're ahead of them. Well, again, you make the most money. You can pay the most money. You can make the, you can get the best athletes to go from that point. And that's what it is trying to do. So it's not about parity. It's not about the good of the college sports. It's not even good for the college athlete. It's about assuring the Big Ten is the king of sports. And that is what they're focused. That's what he's focusing on. And at the same time, a lot of people are saying revenue sharing is needs to happen. Pay these athletes what the schools make or what the conferences make. But the only problem is, is I'd love to know it, but in 2026, if the Pac-12 is still around, I can't wait to see what their fi- their their financial revenue numbers are going to be because it's going to, like I said, it's going to tank. There's not going to be much because your two biggest markets, your your two biggest schools, as far as market wise, LA, you lost USC and UCLA. That is your money in the Pac-12. They're going to the Big Ten. I, I, they're, they're, they'll be lucky to make any kind of revenue that's worthy to talk about at that point. Guys, I'm just happy that General Booty got himself an underwear endorsement. That's all I'm saying. Like, it needed to happen. It was destiny that it did happen. And I'm just happy that an underwear company stepped up and said, we need the booty. And they got the booty. So that that, that makes me happy. Now, JG, we haven't talked baseball because you weren't here yesterday. And all this baseball, baseball is on fire right now, JG. So, but before we get into the nitty gritty, you know, first of all, the Yankees have won three games in a row. Thank you very much. It feels great to win games again. I don't care. I don't care if it's the Tigers. I'm just saying I I haven't won in a while and it feels nice. Okay. I don't think they have a a three game winning streak since like beginning of July. So I'm feeling pretty okay about that. Braves news. The Braves, whose lineup is ridiculous, by the way, uh, they set the franchise single season homer record. So props to the Braves. But let's talk a little bit before we get actually get into the moves that were made. Real quick, JG, 
what is your outlook for the offseason when it comes to Shohei? Is this going to cost him money? Is he going to be okay? Obviously, he's still going to be wanted. Let's say he never pitches again. He is still a fantastic hitter. He is still an elite hitter of the baseball. Obviously, the pitching is a big side of it. But if he was to never pitch again, he's still going to be desired just for his bat. But that's not what makes him who he is, nor is that what he's most likely going to be want to do. You would have to assume he's going to want to pitch. Mm-hmm. So looking at the fact that he's not getting surgery, and the last time we talked about this, you were like, well, he shouldn't be playing. Well, he's playing. Um, don't know why he's playing. Can't quite figure that part out, but he is. So he's got the elbow thing going on. He's playing and hitting through the elbow thing, not pitching. What, how much is this going to cost him, if anything? Come the offseason. Well, he'll be he'll be in poverty stricken. Three hundred million dollars is what he's going to be worth at that point. I mean, it's, and, and, I'm, and I'm I'm being facetious on that. And but that's what he is. I mean, again, you talk about some of the greatest hitters. You know what we've seen. And I know he's a DH, so you're you're paying a DH three hundred million dollars. But that's what he's worth as a hitter. Still, that's that's the, that's the you know I would say a minimum two forty five. Minimum is what your you know two hundred forty five million dollars is kind of the the very very floor of what he's worth as a hitter, but you're still going to get him three hundred million dollars as a because that's what he that's what he brings. He's a great hitter, power. He's got speed. I mean, again, I mean, he's got he's got contact ability. He's going to be he's bats three hundred. He hits forty home runs. Guys like that don't come around anymore in today's game. You know, you don't see a power contact speed guy anymore it's all power or it's and it's or it's just speed i mean you have a handful ronald acuna jr is the other one right now who's got speed he's got power he has contact ability batting 300 they're they're unicorns and i know that's the nickname of 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 shohei with what he does as a hitter and as a pitcher he's a unicorn but for hitting wise in itself in today's era he is one of the very few exceptions to the rule of what hitting has become Yes, the, the the pitching side is what really gives him the value to where you can justify paying him 500, 600, maybe 700. I mean, the, the estimated value of what he is was $745 million because of the pitching that he was able to bring. But if it's a hitter, you're looking at him as a, as a you know, Miguel Cabrera you know, type, of, type of guy who did make you know, 250 to $300 million, Mike Trout. Was the other one who was making three hundred million dollars? You know, Soto is wanting three hundred million dollars. Like that's that's Shohei just on the hitting side alone. So, is it a is it a, a loss of money because of the pitching right now? Well, yeah, because again, he's the only one that could do both pitching and hitting. But for what he brings to the table for an offense, he will better a offense, and that's why it's it's just so laughable what angel the Angels have wasted. In the five years that he's been in in Anaheim, uh, in Anaheim, Los Angeles, is that they didn't do anything to help him because he was helping the team. He again, he kept them a lot of the time to in the ball games, but yeah, they just never put a, a roster together for him. So imagine him on a team that can build, be built around. He's going to continue to be an MVP candidate as a hitter only. He'll be continued to get your team in, in contention to win divisions and win championships if you have a quality team that is protecting him. He needs protection in the lineup. But yeah, do I think that he's going to try to pitch again at some point? Yes, I do think he won't pitch. And it's so it's so 
it's so uncertain right now because again, he's not having surgery. That's the that's the we don't really know what's going to happen. That it, and it, because if, it, it, if that's really damaged, if that UCL is really damaged, why not have the surgery? Get your Bryce Harper came back, you know, uh, from the off season surgery, and then came back in mid in mid season to still be able to be a hitter and, and a position player. Have the surgery, get it fixed. Don't pitch in twenty twenty four. Be a hitter only twenty twenty five. You come back and be a pitcher. I, so I'm not really understanding the thought process of why he didn't have the surgery. I'm, I'm not a doctor. So I'm not going to pretend to be one. But as a as a valued hitter, it's $300 million. He's still a $300 million guy. Uh, guy. Again, it's not going to be four or $500 million that everybody was expecting to think. But you're still going to pay top dollar for Shohei Otani, the hitter, right now. Well, let me ask you this. Does it open the door for someone to come in at what we thought the number was going to be if other teams don't want to go to that number because of the injury. Let's say the Dodgers are comfortable at 350-400 because of where things stand right now. And then another team is like, well, we were prepared to offer 550-6 because that's where we thought the market was going to be, and we're still going to offer it. Would that potentially swing something where maybe he doesn't go to the Dodgers because the Dodgers are looking at it like, we're not going to give you $600 million. We don't even think you're going to pitch again, or we're not confident in your pitching ability. And a DH is not worth that money. Whereas another team is like, whether you can pitch or not, (laughs) which hopefully you can, but if you can't, we were going to offer you the money anyways. So here it is. Could that potentially bring in a a dark horse in the race for Otani come this off season? I, I don't see a team still offering five hundred million dollars for as a DH only. You're you're doing that. You're you're offering that because of the pitching and hitting. So you're 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 looking at the the top pitchers in baseball only. They're not close to four hundred million dollars right now. Yeah, they're they're around to two fifty two seventy five million is kind of what you're sitting at at that point. The top hitters are around three hundred three hundred million. That's why they. That's why the four to five hundred million dollar uh, range has been thrown out there. Because if you take the top five uh, pitchers' uh, average salary, the top five hitters' average salary, and you have Shohei Otani at that point, you're not going that way right now for only one of those things. So I don't see. And the, the team would, as you said, if a team was comfortable going to five hundred million dollars for Shohei pre UCL injury. It's because of the it was both. You you looked at that as a pitcher and a hitter. I mean, at the same time, is even though it's a lot of money, you're saving yourself the ability of a roster spot for either one of those because he can do both of that. So, no, I don't I don't think a team is going to sit there and say, yeah, we had earmarked five hundred million dollars for Shohei. He's not a pitcher anymore. He's a hitter. We're not still going to pay five hundred million dollars. So I think I, I don't think you can justify even for Shohei Otani. $500 million for a DH only right now. I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to, that, that market's going to drop. If he's a DH only, the market will drop to, to, like I said, 250 to 300. I would say the ceiling is about 350, $350 million is kind of what it is. Could you have a team that overpays and says, all right, we'll go to 375. Yeah. I, I think that's something that you're going to look at. I don't think a team is going to go to 400 just yet though, for a DH only. If you get it picturing and it now if there's, likelihood he will pitch again then i could see that i just don't know right now if that's going to be the case he's, he's 29 years old he's going to be 30 next summer 
with two Tommy John surgeries, I, I that's going to be very dicey for a team to justify to say, we're going to try to keep you in to be a pitcher. 2024, uh, 2025, you'll be back on the mound for us. We'll pay you $500 million. That's, that's a very big if, uh, even for Shohei Otani. Does it keep the Angels in the mix at all? No, I think because the dysfunction of that franchise, and I'm putting I, I'm putting the LA Angels as probably the most dysfunctional franchise in Major League Baseball right now, and that's saying a lot with the Oakland A's doing what they're doing. But as I, I, I put it this way, Oakland has been doing this on purpose. They have been dysfunctional on purpose just to leave. The Angels are dysfunctional, dysfunctional. So I, I think that you're looking at Shohei. He, he sees it. He realizes that the move they they made they made moves that made no sense at the deadline. They made moves that didn't that didn't help the team. And now they're saying, all right, well we're gonna put the we're gonna put a quarter of our roster on waivers and. Hey, Shohei, we tried. Thank you for your time. And and so I, uh, you know, I, I don't see, I don't see the Angels. The Angels will make an offer, but Shohei wants to win. He 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 wants to win. He came from Japan and only went. You know, played for a winning pro, uh, organization in Japan. Hasn't had a chance to sniff the postseason yet. This is another generational talented player. The Angels are just wasting. I think he he sees Trout. He sees Trout and what uh, his career has been in uh, with the Angels. He does not want the same thing, so I think I think the Angels are nowhere even close to having an opportunity to re-sign Shohei Otani after this year. Well, I see it in your face, and I'm thinking the same thing. The Mets throw money around. I, I'm not putting it past the New York Mets to be like, "Hey, <laughs> we got 400, 500 million." Cohen likes around. the spin. Cohen loves the spin. So let me let's just bring a Shohei to the Big Apple and see what we can do there. Uh, JG, two more things before we get you out of here. Uh, one, speaking of the Mets, now they're talking about shopping Alonzo. Now they're talking about moving off, you know, guys who are only signed for next season and not beyond next season. But then the some players have come out, and apparently the players want Alonzo to stay in New York, and they're apparently, or maybe they've already had it, they're going to have a meeting with uh, leadership of the team to kind of argue why they should extend a lot what what why what what's happening here like i i, I like the sentiment good it, it shows that pete's obviously liked by his teammates i guess and that he's a good guy but is is that weird is it is it weird when a group of players comes in and is advocating for another guy to be here long term when who knows if they're even going to be there long term and, and well that's the key that's the thing though is I guarantee, and I, they, I haven't really thrown out names as far as who's leading the charge on this, but I guarantee you, and I know Lindor and Alonzo have not been buddy buddy this year, but a Lindor signed a long term deal. He's he's going to be in New York for a while. He thought he's he, he's in New York thinking that he was going to be competing for championships, division titles, and World Series titles. When he signed, you have uh, Brandon Nimmo signed long term uh, last off season. So you have guys who committed to the franchise to compete for titles, and the franchise is now saying, yeah, about that. We're not going to compete for a title. We're not competing for 2023. Obviously, we traded our we traded Scherzer and Verlander. Uh, we're not going to compete in 2024. We're going we're to trade Alonzo. We're not even going to compete in 2025. So majority, so the next two, three years of your contract, you're going to be in last place with the Nationals, battling with them, and then 2027, 2026, 2027, 
maybe we'll start we'll start really hitting our rebuild to to start competing there. Will you be here? Probably not. So you're looking at it as a player. Do I want to waste three years of my career in last place? If I'm Francisco Lindor, if you know, again, I get they're not buddy buddies, but I don't want to be in last place at this point in my career. I'm 30 years old right now. I'm in my I'm in my 30s. So three years, last place ball. No, not happening. No, 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 no. And if they go down that road, you're going to, again, the issue for that is, I think I said with you guys at one, uh, one point, is if they trade Alonso and they're just fully committed to the, to selling off and rebuilding, Lindor's contract is going to be very, very hard to trade. You're going to have to eat money. So does Steve Cohen going to really want to eat another millions and millions and millions of dollars to trade Lindor? Probably not, but I mean, you're you're not you're going to have a very unhappy Francisco Lindor in that case. You're going to have a very unhappy Brandon Nimmo, who you just signed long term last last off season. So there's going to be some pieces of this team that you're going to have to make decisions and either eat money and just say, all right, we'll we'll, we'll eat money, we'll send you off, we'll go and we'll go our separate ways, or listen to the clubhouse and say Alonzo needs to stay. But this is what you have with this team right now. Is is Alonzo really the biggest difference maker for you? Well, he's producing the runs. But if you're not committing to spending money and bettering this team, this is a roster who's a last place roster. You know, so are you rebuilding or are you just staying in, in place? And that's where the conversation is. If the Mets are smart, if Steve Cohen does actually be smart in baseball, say we're trading Alonzo. We are fully rebuilding this roster 2026. And I think that's, and, and I, I make fun of the Mets being a Braves fan, but that is the smartest thing they can do is trade Alonzo, find a way to trade Lindor, completely scrap this team 100% and say the next three years we're replenishing our farm system, we're going to build, rebuild, and by 2026, 2027, we will have a team that is a younger team and probably a little bit more exciting because we have a team in, in the division that majority, the core group, and I'm, I'm speaking highly of my Braves right now. I wore the shirt today because uh, it's a big series against the Dodgers. But you have a core group team in Atlanta that their age is 25 years old. That is their that is the average age of the core of in Atlanta. So if you're going to compete with them, you have to get younger too. And by in three years, in 2026, that means that core group is going to be 28, 29 years old in Atlanta. You'll be 24, 25 years old potentially at that point, and you might be the ones that are now supplanting them. So if the Mets are smart, say, guys, I appreciate what y'all are doing for Pete, but we have to do what's best for the organization. Rebuilding is the best way to go about it right now. You know, JG, it scares me when you start off sentences with if the Mets were smart. But that's neither here nor there. Before we get you out of here, last thing I want to talk to you about, I want to get your opinion on the quality of the security staff in Colorado, where we had a, a little a little fan incident with Acuna for MVP. Uh, it took four or five guys to rally two guys off Acuna, and they didn't even manage to do that because in, in the process of all this, the potential MVP hits the deck. He's got guys trying to, like, pull his feet down. He's got another guy, like, charging his face. What the hell is going on in Colorado? Well, well, let me address Kyle. First off, the Braves will be the 2023 World Series champions. I'm just putting it right now. And I remember I think you said you were a Red Sox fan. Enjoy battling 
you know, Yankees for last place in the AL East. Just saying. Uh, the rep, I said Colorado needs better in shape security guard because again, first off, I looked at, I watched the video. You've got guys that are slow trying to run to Acuna to catch them to catch those guys that came on the field. Now, fortunately, they had no ill will. They were trying to do a TikTok video with you know uh, at that point, um, but it, it that that was bad. That was very bad. Again, it was the you know the you know MVP favorite again. Anthony, I don't care what you say. Mookie Betts is runner up to MVP. It's going to be Ronald Acuna Jr. the MVP of the National League. But you have but you, you should never have fans get even remotely close to players on the field. And I it, find a way to get better security guards or quicker security guards or something because that they they were on him for a, a good a, a good few seconds before anybody even got there. That's a problem. So I mean, it was very bad. It was a bad look for Colorado. It was a bad look for the Rockies security staff. Uh, I mean, that was and again. What heaven forbid Acuna tweaks his knee. Which he had reconstructive knee surgery two years ago. Heaven forbid he tweaks his knee with that group. Those those guys taking him like just inadvertently, yes, but taking him down. He tweaks his knee. Now what? Now you lose your you, the, an MVP candidate and the best team in baseball loses their their number one guy. That that's a bad look by by everybody involved, and that goes from the Colorado Rockies, the, the security staff in Coors Field, and Major League Baseball as well. Help if it, if that's the best you got for security, Major League Baseball step up and help them out, do something because that was that was not a good look, not a good look at all. And again, I'm not saying it, it could be Aaron Judge, it could be Aaron Judge for the New York Yankees, it could be the same situation for them. It could be Mookie Betts in L.A. It could be anybody who's a superstar in this league. And I would say the same thing because you cannot have that happen where one and two guys just get are, are holding or getting on to uh, Acuna. They shouldn't even be close to him. You should have somebody we, you know, to, that prevents them from even getting 10 feet to Acuna. No, they got him. They got actually on him, and they will at least knock him down. Very bad look. And Acuna, I mean, to his credit, he handled it pretty well because, um, you know, he, he could have come out swinging. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know what they're doing. He doesn't know what their intent is. Um, but obviously, the, you know, the, the first guy that got to him was obviously communicating with him because Acuna put his arm around him. He was kind of like posing for the picture a little bit. Why he's kind of like also looking around like, is someone going to come out here and take care of this? But when the guy finally gets out there, you know, the, the Acuna and the fan, they're basically attached at that point. So what does the secure what does the security guard do? What does he think is best to try to rip the guy off Acuna? Like he's already holding him. Well, so even that, I question. Like I get it, you need to separate them, but you know, let, let's look out for Acuna's safety too, because now you got a situation where the guy's like hanging on to Acuna, and now you're you're trying to rip them apart, and Acuna might get hurt, and then the other guy, guy number two, comes in and is like, "I'm gonna go for his legs." What do we do? Did anyone train you guys how to take someone down? That's my first question because I don't think anyone did. Yeah, I, uh, I said it was just bad. Again, you couldn't tackle the guy because again, if you tackle the guy, you're tackling Acuna, and you end up still you end up still knocking him down in the first place. One that so stronger security guards, uh, you know, faster security guards, a little bit bigger guys that, and not not rounder guys, a little bit more muscle guys that can just grab the guy and pull him off of Acuna and, and takes you know. Two seconds instead of ten seconds. 
I, I don't I don't know. And it was just like I said, it was a very bad look for Coors Field uh, security. It's a bad look for the Colorado Rockies. It's a bad. And, and this is just the stupid of society where they again, they were doing a TikTok. They wanted to do a TikTok. Is it worth going? Which you're now going. You're, you're now going to jail. You're you were char- the, the two of the guys were charged yesterday. So you're going to jail uh, and you're going to spend some time in, behind bars. So was it was the TikTok worth it? It's just it's stupid people in society. I, I, I could say more. I don't I think I would I, I, I could remain professional on what I think about that per t- particularly. But like we're on the same page, JG. It's so stupid. And again, I, like the worst thing you can do in any in just a sporting event is run on the field because it's the selfish mindset of looking. It's to look at me. Because that's the that's your five seconds of fame that you weren't good enough to actually be on a field when you're supposed to be, and you're gonna go look at me, look at me, look at me, and now you're gonna now we're doing social media posts and TikToks and and Instagram and and you know just to just to say look how look how good just so you can have your five seconds of fame. Stop it, stop it, please. Throw, put them in jail. Put them behind bars. Keep them in there for a very long time because it's the dumbest thing I, that I that that can ever take place. And do a TikTok on them getting booked. What's that? Do, do a, a TikTok, TikTok on them getting booked. Oh yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And then and then have to have the actual guards, which are better in shape and probably should be hired by the Rockies. Have the guards throw the key away and just say, "All right, see you guys." And then you know, then you just kind of do a little, you know, uh, uh, the Titanic theme song to when you turn uh, when you walk <laughs> away or something like that. I, my goodness, I mean, it's it, it was so bad. Like I said, it's not just because it's the Braves. I, I would feel this way if it was a Dodgers player, if it was a Yankees player, Red Sox, Cubs, if it was anybody in sports that had that had to deal with this. That's why I do love the NFL and how they handle the players. It got to the point where, like, all right, nope, you're not doing this. And they're tackling because they're quicker and stronger. They'll just tackle them themselves and say, give them the middle finger and say, get off our field and leave us alone type of thing. Uh I mean, it's just bad. I hate this. I, I again, and I, I, I could say a whole lot more, but I'm gonna remain professional in the words that I want to speak on. Well, JG, we appreciate you as always. Great always. conversation this morning, JG, and we'll see you next time you pop in. Definitely, guys. I look forward to seeing you guys again next week. Now, Mo, I, I wasn't gonna tell JG what you do for your TikToks. I, I didn't want him to judge you. <laughs> all right, I so I, I wasn't gonna put you on blast with JG in the room. But oh, we all good. know JG are good. I don't I don't recall doing any of those. So I'm we good. all know you get a little crazy with your TikToks. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, Mo. <laughs> so Mo, it comes out yesterday, and every every day, Mo, the saga with Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> like uh, there's when, more? Yeah, when you think when you think there's no more to the story, there ends up being more. So we find out yesterday that the the Colts wanted Jalen Waddle. That apparently the, the the starting point for their conversation with the Dolphins was Jalen Waddle has to be included in the deal. Oh, and by the way, we still want picks. I don't know if they wanted a one or a two or what that was, but Jalen Waddle had to be involved in there somewhere. So now you kind of understand why the Dolphins didn't get JT, first of all. Then you have the Dolphins general manager come out and say, well, well, hang on. You know, we're not, I'm not going to talk about what names were thrown around, but we didn't actually make an official offer. And I'm like, well, semantics, my dude, because once he said he wants JT or once he said he wants Waddle, and then you start throwing out some other names that aren't Waddle, 
And they're like, no, we want Watt. Of course you didn't make an official offer because you knew they weren't going to take the offer. But then we find out the Green Bay Packers were, they were the second team. They were the second team that were serious contenders. They made a serious offer and the Colts said no to their offer as well. So Moa, I have to ask you, what, what are the Packers doing? They got a good back. Two good backs. Two good backs. Is three better than two? Is I I don't know. What does that say about Jordan Love if they need three running backs? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. I thought they had confidence in the guy. What's it say about the receivers if they need three this running backs? True. What are they going to run? The, the wishbone? They're going to run the wishbone or something like that? And the backs are going to catch the ball, apparently. Sure. I, I don't know. I don't know. Also making the rounds yesterday, Mo. And again, it's 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 the gift that keeps on giving. It is Aaron Rodgers in New York. He had a little uh, dispute, if you will, with a player from the New York Giants. It was highlighted by HBO Hard Knocks. Uh, so, it, it, again, you know, there, there's two sides to every story, Mo. So the day after Hard Knocks airs, we're finding out that maybe what Hard Knocks showed wasn't exactly what we thought it was. So if you watched Hard Knocks, what you saw was this young man. Uh, he's actually not a young man. He's eight years into the league, so I don't want to make him seem like he is a rookie. Uh, Jihad Ward, after a play, he got a little physical with Aaron, bumped him a little bit, shoved him a little bit. Uh, Aaron was quick to point out that he took five steps, five steps after the ball was out and hit him. So Aaron was rightfully annoyed about that. So they, they were jawing back and forth. And then a few plays later, Aaron throws a touchdown pass. They, they go at it again. Aaron says things like, who are you? I, I don't even know your name. Uh, <laughs> that's that's how much you register in my universe. Like, I've never even seen you before kind of thing. So basically, he, he made him look like a punk. He made Ward look like a, a complete and total punk. Um, obviously, if you are not a New York Giants fan, you probably don't know who he is unless he's been on your team before. Um, he's been around to a couple different places. He's not a, a premier le- a name in the NFL, Mo. But then we find out that there was more to the story. We find out that the the anger between Ward towards Rodgers was his perception that Rodgers was joking with Cobb about a play earlier in the game in which Cobb got penalized for a crackback block that injured one of the players on the Giants. And Ward had an issue with what he perceived to be Rodgers in the huddle, audibly making light of the situation in which a Giants player got hurt. And then Ward came out and basically said, you know, screw HBO. Of course, they're just going to show the Rodgers side of it. That's the only damn reason that HBO is even in their facility is because of Aaron Rodgers. So, of course, they're going to show him making jokes and yucking it up, and they're not going to make him look bad by showing the fact that he was laughing and making fun of Cobb uh, after Cobb illegally made a legal play, he got he got penalized for it and took out one of our players. So Mo, hearing his side of it, where do you fall on this? I have no problem with Ward being upset. We're talking about your teammate and possibly experiencing an injury that could cost him some time or affect his career going forward. We all know that crackback blocks are lethal in terms of what it, what damage it can do to a player. So. Him being upset, I'm good with that. Uh, the fact that Aaron Rodgers made light of it, I understand why that would anger him as well. Like, it it it's it wouldn't be funny if it were the other way around and somebody did a crackback block on, say, 
Randall Cobb for whatever reason. I'm just making a point that I understand Ward's anger. I don't understand Aaron Rodgers' indifference over it. And maybe it's one of those kind of things where Aaron Rodgers didn't know that they could hear him. You know what I mean? That that might have been Aaron just being Aaron, and he didn't know they could hear him. I feel like a lot of conversations start off with Aaron just being Aaron. <laughs> More times than not. <laughs> just like a lot of things we're going to see with the New York Jets this season, it's just Aaron being Aaron. The good and the bad. And the ugly. <laughs> oh, yeah. There'll be some of that, too. Uh, Ma, I don't know if you caught uh... – uh, Gene's show last night, but they were drinking the 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 Jets Kool Aid heavily on Gene's show last night. They all they all got the Jets going to the AFC Championship game. I, I can only say this: you and I would probably agree on this. So the goal is for the Jets to go to the Super Bowl, right? That's what they think. Correct. They've put together a Super Bowl uh, a contender. I do agree they could be a contender. They could be a contender. That should be the peak, but. I'm looking at the division, and the Dolphins have a peak. The Bills have a peak. And while the Bills have all kind of faults that we could go to, you know how you can cover up faults? Talent. They don't lack for talent. The Dolphins don't lack for talent. The Jets have some talent, but I would I would dispute whether or not they have chemistry. I don't know. You usually develop chemistry over time. What they have are big names. I think the Jets are going to be really good. I don't think they're going to the Super Bowl. If I don't they, see that. I, I agree. I, I think if the I I, I will ch- I, I will do this. I will say this, Jet fan, <clears throat> because I know you think because I'm a Dolphin fan that I can't be fair when I criticize the New York Jets. And I'll be honest, I hate the New York Jets. But that being said, you know I, I can be nice about it, and I will say this: if the Jets with the, with the way their their schedule starts off, if the Jets start off four and one, five and one, six and two. I will change my tune because I do not think they're going to start off that hot. I do not think they're going to be that far above 500 eight games into the season. So if you're looking at a six and two, seven and one Jets squad, eight games into the season, I will pivot and I will say, fine, they deserve to be in the AFC championship Super Bowl conversation. I was wrong. What I think is going to happen, Mo, is eight games into the season, we're going to see a three and four, four and four, five and three version of the Jets. And I'm going to be sitting here saying they're going to fight for a playoff spot, which is what I've said all along, that they're going to fight for a playoff spot. They might be in the division hunt, depending on how things shake out, you know, week 13 or 14 before one of the other two teams, Buffalo or Miami, surges to take control of the division. And I think I think they're going to be in the wild card hunt for the majority of the year. That's where, that's where I think it falls. And look, if if they win 13 games, then Aaron Rodgers, that's your MVP. He's your MVP. If he if they win 13 games, he's your runaway MVP. No and, doubt about it. And so if, if they're going to be that good, which, I, look, this isn't me rooting against the Jets. See, I'm different from you. I've just always thought of the Jets as one of those irrelevant franchises. Like, they've, they've never really been relevant. Like, there's no claim to fame other than way back in the 60s when Joe Namath won a Super Bowl. But other than that, they've been irrelevant. Nobody cares. Nobody's ever cared. I think they had a moment in time, uh, I believe, when um, when they were pretty good for a little while, when, the, when Curtis Martin was there. And I think they went, to, they went to a deep playoff run like in the late 90s. But other than that, more times than not, they've just been another team that other teams just stepped over. 
So I, I, I don't dislike them because they've never really mattered that much to me in the bigger scale. Don't forget, they had that one guy who was always on TV for their primetime games with the fireman hat on, who was leading <laughs> who was leading that chant, J-E-T. Like that, yeah. that, they're known for that, Mo. Come on now. They've got, they've got some passionate fans. I'll, I'll give you that. And, and look, you are a true fan of this franchise. If you're still hanging in there, and the last time you guys won a Super Bowl was the first time you won a Super Bowl in the 60s. That's amazing. That's a true fan. You know, they, they did have those couple Mark Sanchez years where out of nowhere they went to an AFC championship game. Give, so. give them all the credit in the world. You're right. Rex Ryan, amazing defensively. And, and yep. that defense carried them. They, asked, they, they had a simple plan. Uh, Sanchez, don't lose the game. The defense will win the game. And it worked. Well, let me ask you this. And this just kind of popped into my head. Let's say the Jets just missed the playoffs or they barely make the playoffs as a wild card and they, they lose in the first round. Is Salah in trouble, a defensive-minded head coach, after you make the move to bring in Aaron Rodgers, after you have Super Bowl aspirations in a league where defensive-minded head coaches don't get the same respect as the offensive-minded head coaches? If this isn't at least an AFC championship appearance or at least a winning a playoff game season, is Salah in trouble? I think he is. I think it. Anything short, look, making the playoffs might just keep his job. But if he doesn't make the playoffs, yeah, he's going to be, he might not be back next season, but I think for sure a short run um, because they didn't put this team together to barely make the playoffs. They certainly didn't put it together with the roster construction they went through. They didn't put it together to not make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, Robert Sulla, Sulla's going to be a lot of trouble. He really is. They're going to start looking at him and going, that's why you don't need a defensive coach in this era, right? That's what they're going to say. That, because that's what that's what the talk is and the trend is. And if you're looking at the way the league is going, that's proving to be true more times than not. They're going to say, Sulla, you're a good coach, but you can't be our head coach. we got to get a guy in here who's more offensive-minded. That's, that's exactly what's going to happen. So, Mo, yesterday, <clears throat> Joe Montana comes out and – interesting take he has and as a dolphin fan i'm here for it i'm 100 here for it but he said that dan marino in his opinion is the best quarterback of all time and then he gave the qualifier and his qualifier is this according to joe montana there's, these are two different conversations there is the greatest quarterback of all time and sure. that's based on what the quarterback has accomplished no argument championship wins, losses, statistics. Then there is the best quarterback of all time, which in his mind has to do with the individual ability of said quarterback. So in his mind, when it comes to God-given talent and football acumen, football IQ, what the quarterback can physically do on a football field, he thinks there is nobody better than Dan Marino. What say you, Mo? I love Joe Montana. Look, I'm a Niners fan. That's my guy. And he's not wrong. Here, here, here's what I would say. When you're talking about the best quarterback, like like on, on, on what he said, not, a, not on achievements, but what he's seen, the eyeball test. I don't think Joe's – we might disagree slightly. I would, I would say it's between Marino and John Elway. 
from what I've seen. I'm with I'm with Joe. How many great quarterbacks can even admit something like that? When when you go off of just pure ability, what they've seen, yeah, Dan Marino was amazing. I mean that that release, his ability to diagnose a play that fast, recognize coverages, and before you know it, that, the ball is gone. The ball is out. Not the most mobile guy in the world, but when you've got that cannon of an arm, that quick a release, you didn't need to be. So and, if and Joe that's Montana the argument, said, huh? That's the argument they're going to make, Mo. They're going because you you know you know where this is going. You know that someone's going to come in the comments and be like, Mahomes. Look at what Mahomes can look at the athlete Mahomes is. Mahomes can run. Mahomes can throw sideways. Mahomes can go Superman. Dan didn't have to do that. Dan didn't need all that extra stuff because he had a cannon of an arm. He could break down a defense in one and a half seconds, and he put the ball where only his receiver could get it. He didn't need to worry about running around, avoiding this, jumping up and down. He didn't need to do all that. Because in two seconds, the ball is already out. The ball is already out. And and when you watch the Dolphins, go back and watch some of them old highlights. The receivers weren't making one-hand snags. or The ball was right where it was supposed to be, catching them in stride to where they can turn and run and make somebody miss. Like, I have no problem at all. If Joe Cool says that, I'm here for it. I'm with him 100%. I think Dan Marino's a close sec. I mean, John Elway would be a close second in terms of what I've seen. Like, when you look at those Broncos teams, I'm talking about the ones in his early years, they had no business being in the Super Bowl. Those were not great teams. And he drugged those teams single-handedly. No great defense. No no Pro Bowl all-star wide receivers. No thousand-yard backs. It was him. John Elway was amazing. I have no problem with anybody talking about Mo. Look at Mahomes. I'm watching Mahomes. I'm I'm here for it. I think he's the best quarterback in all of football, and I, so I, and I, I'm not going to dispute his greatness. But I would say that Dan Marino, he, no, he, he wasn't the athlete Mahomes was. But to your point, he didn't have to be, and and he didn't he didn't always have the greatest offensive line. But when you can get the ball out that quick and it's where it's supposed to be, that's amazing in itself. And I would argue. Yes, I know somebody will say he had Duper and Clay, and they were both very good. But he didn't have an offensive co- a coordinator. He didn't have an offensive mind like Andy Reid. Had he had that, could you imagine Dan Marino with an Andy Reid? I'm just, I'm just saying. And and again, you know, I I I don't like to be the guy who says, "Oh, different eras." It was a different era back then. This but- is true. You have to look at it and you have to say at the same time, whatever talent Marino or Elway had at the wide receiver position, there was a defensive player all over them because you could touch them more. You could hit them more. You could use your hands more. Uh, Defense was just more physical back then, which means ball placement was all the more important because back then, let's be honest, Mo, you guys weren't doing this. Because once a guy did that, you were getting popped. You were getting popped, and you might not be getting back up. So if your quarterback put the ball up here where you had to do this, you were going back to your quarterback saying, what is wrong with you? Right. Put it it right here so I can protect myself. Today, you got guys being ballerinas and acrobats out there because, for the most part, they're not getting blown up like that anymore. Well, they can't get hit like that. Like, 
the game is is different. People always want to go. It's not that different. It's completely different because you can't get those knockout shots. That was common. You you go over the middle now. There's not a Ronnie Lott in the NFL that that that's going to deliver that knockout shot. They've given DBs and all defensive players these little small target zones to make tackles, and that's kind of crazy. You know what I mean? Like so, when you look at some of the broken tackles, it's not that the tackling's gotten worse. It's harder to make a tackle. You have to make all these decisions in split seconds. If I go too high, it's a penalty. If I go too low, it's a penalty. They give them these small target zones. So it is easier for quarterbacks and wide receivers in today's NFL, which is why wide receivers are much more valued in today's NFL than running backs. If you play the Marino's era, receivers were getting the hell beat out of them to get off the get off the line of scrimmage. It looked like a WWE match. So it, it is a bigger difference. It, it and, and if you're a quarterback like Marino, when you didn't get rid of the ball, they used to get blown up. They used to take punishment that quarterbacks don't have to deal with today. So it is a completely different game. You don't want to go the error route, but in a time capsule, throw Dan Marino, age 25, into this current NFL, even with his lack of mobility, and you don't think he would put up insane numbers? Are you crazy? That would be wild to see. Mo, Anthony Price has a question for you. What are What is New England really doing at the quarterback position, Mo? Anthony, I would ask you the same thing, man. I I don't know. I have no clue. I, I you know what? I I've been I've been one of those guys that said, hey, look, I know Belichick's older. He's not quite what he was, but you got to respect what he accomplished, what he's done. But the more and more I see some of the moves he's made, you're starting to wonder, like, is Bill losing it a little bit? Is he losing it? Because I I don't have any clue, and I don't know if Mac Jones is the future of the Patriots. I think he's a solid quarterback. But I don't know if solid quarterback is good enough in that in that division. Like, look at the other quarterbacks in that division. I don't know if solid quarterback is good enough. If you're going to get back to the Super Bowl, I'm talking about New England Patriots fans, you're going to have to upgrade QB1. No offense to Mac Jones. I have no doubt he will have a long and productive NFL career, but he's not a franchise quarterback. And unfortunately for Patriot fan, Mo, they're not going to be bad enough to draft a good quarterback. Right, they're they're just good enough not to draft a good quarterback, right? Yeah, they're li- they're literally going to be just on the outside of the playoffs, just on the inside of the playoffs, two games on the outside. They're not going to be a one or two win team to where they're going to have the ability to draft that next star. So they're going to be stuck saying, okay, you know what what potential second round guy you know has the shine to be a, a franchise quarterback, and this is this is the kind of the situation you fall into. Or who knows? Maybe they'll go trade for Trey Lance. That, that apparently is the thing to do now, Mo. Just go trade for Trey Lance because he's going to solve all your problems in the future. Just ask Cowboy fans. I, I, I hope Trey Lance becomes everything that people had previously projected him to be. And, I, and I'm really, I really mean that because right now I feel like he's being set up for failure. Um, he's not going to be the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback, which isn't a secret but I don't think he's going to be their starting quarterback of the future as well. I don't, I don't think that. And so many people are out there on the Trey Lance bandwagon. He didn't get enough chances and he was injured. You don't realize most this guy's mobile and he's talented. There are a lot. The league is full of incredible athletic quarterbacks who aren't very good quarterbacks who don't start. And I hope I'm wrong, but he looks like he's just another one of those guys. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because you can make a career of it. You could be a very good backup. Look, Tyrod Taylor, 
Tyrod so Taylor's not going into the Hall of Fame. No. But he's been a he's been a solid backup quarterback, even a sometime starter, because because he made himself good enough to be impactful in a reserve role. Same for Teddy Teddy Bridgewater and some mm-hmm. other guys. So maybe Trey Lance can look. This sounds harsh of me, but I think that's not. I think I'm being kind. I'm saying I think he's good enough to have a a, a long NFL career, but I don't think he's going to be anybody's franchise quarterback. Well, there's there's 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. That's it. There's 32 positions for that job. If you look at the next tier, the backup quarterbacks, I would argue there's a handful. There's a handful of tier one quality backup quarterbacks in the league. And the rest are guys that just are interchangeable year after year. So to your point, if you are in that conversation of the six or seven upper echelon backup quarterbacks in the NFL, you can play in this league for 14, 15 years. No doubt. Just being a backup quarterback, making anywhere from three to I've seen backups make seven or eight million a year, Mo. Just because that's how important that role is if QB1 goes down. So there there is good, good life changing, future setting up money available. One of the backup quarterback position, if you're good enough for it. And when Mo, when San Francisco trades Trey Lance, then they bring in Allen and make him quarterback three, that doesn't make it any better. Because now you're basically saying Trey Lance wasn't better than him either. Yeah. So that blew, that blew me away when they, when they brought in Allen. I was like, wow. Come on. All right, Mo, we're, we're going to wrap up the show going a little NBA. And this was something I didn't even know was a thing until I saw the news break yesterday, which was the conclusion of this entire story. So here I am at one o'clock this morning, like, tell me more. I knew nothing about this. And what I'm talking about, Mo, is that the NBA has announced that they are officially ending the investigation into referee Eric Lewis. Apparently, according to the league sources, uh, Lewis was being investigated because there was a, and I know we love this word in sports, burner Twitter account. (laughs) There was a burner Twitter account out there, Mo, uh, that was not criticizing, but was explaining why officials in the NBA were correct in the calls that they made. And this burner Twitter account didn't just focus on Eric Lewis, but it it did a lot. Um, It also focused on other officials and referees in the NBA as far as, no, you thought this call was wrong. Let me explain to you why this call is right. And I know fans might be saying, great, we need more of that. We need more transparency. But Mo, there is a rule. You are not allowed as an NBA official to have any conversations about calls on the court unless they are in an official forum that is allowed and authorized by the National Basketball Association. So that's that's where the rule violation came in. So if you're found to be having burner accounts or even if an NBA official at the end of the night goes on Instagram Live and is just asked, taking questions from fans and he's breaking down calls from the game, that's a no-no. That can cost you your job. So that's why it was an issue. And then during the process of this investigation, Eric Lewis decided, I'm out. 
I'm done with it. And the NBA said, okay, well, we're done with it as well. So, Mo, two things. Well, actually one thing, but we'll get to that in a second. And for those of you who are wondering, well, aren't they going to – maybe it wasn't his account. Eric Lewis is not a mastermind criminal, Mo. Apparently, the name that he used for the account is his wife's maiden name. The last name is his (laughs) wife's maiden – is her last name. The account only followed five people, and one of the people the account followed was his wife's basketball team. So he did he didn't do a great job of hiding the facts. He didn't cover his tracks well. No, not at all. But Mo, that and that kind of goes to my point. My point is that no, nothing nefarious was taking place here. I mean, he didn't even do a good job of hiding the fact that it was him. Um, it's unfortunate that you know, obviously, you, you know what happened. A fan put the pieces together. And probably because there's no way this hits the NBA radar. The number of Twitter accounts out there that judge calls in a game and explain why things are right or wrong. There's probably thousands of them. So this, the NBA is not out there looking for this. So clearly someone pieced the pieces together and figured out it was probably him. And that's how it hits the NBA's radar. But Mo, just because he retires, should the investigation end? Or if you're an NBA fan, are you like, well, well, wait a minute. Should we at least see the investigation through and have some transparency on what took place? Because, Mo, I, I guess my thing is we hope it was as simple as it looks. We hope he was just defending himself and his friends and saying why their calls were correct. And we, we hope that's all it is. But then you see conversations like Andre Iguodala was having on that podcast. Oh, God, I saw that where you got to score 15 if you want to win by one tonight in the playoffs. And now you're like, okay, maybe it's not as – you hate to go there. You hate to put the tinfoil hat on. But once you start having these conversations and the fact that he was doing this kind of on, on the down low with the fake name, with the burner Twitter account, maybe there is more. Maybe there is something in the underbelly. Um, That, you know, the NBA doesn't want to drudge up. So, Mo, I ask you, should the investigation end with him retiring? Or should would it be in the better interest of the NBA to see it through and just stay transparent? Look at both sides of my hands. Nothing's nothing's here. We're all good. Just to kind of keep fans from saying, it's a cover-up, Mo. It's a cover-up. They're covering something up. 100%. Look, I'm with you. I, I think they need to see this investigation through just in the name of transparency. They've already had their share of bad looks. You can go back to the the, the Tim Donahue situation. Um, there's always been NBA fans. There's no shortage of conspiracy theorists when it comes to the NBA and, and, and calls being made at certain times. I saw the Iguodala interview on the podcast. I think Evan Turner was on there too. My only thing about that is I remember that Sixer team. That was Turner. That was Iguodala. That was Drew Holiday. It was a good team, but it wasn't a great team. So I, I'm not sure how many nights they were supposed to get up by 15 to win one because they they weren't that good because Iguodala was the best player in the team, and he's not meant to be your best player. And so they, they weren't that good. Maybe they thought they were better than what they were. So I, I, I think that was more something they put up in their heads. Like it was you as the best player and Drew Holiday – and Evan Turner, who turned out to be one of the bigger draft busts in the history. So I'm, I'm not sure how good you really thought you were. I don't think you were up 15 very often. So I, I don't make anything of that. But to get back to 
what you said, yes, they need to see this investigation through and share their findings with the fans, like you said, in the name of transparency. And I hope it really is just like you said, as he presented it to be, and it's nothing. On the other hand, and this is kind of a jab, and you'll appreciate this uh, because you're a Dolphins fan, I don't want them to go around and destroy the tapes and stuff in the name of justice and what's good for the league because nobody wants to see that when everybody wants to see that. I'm just saying. No, and Jory, you're right. Iguodala wasn't wasn't really up by 15 until he was a warrior. So I, I get it. For for them to be that you gotta be up by 15 to win one. Mo, you were spot on. They weren't ever really up by 15. So ah, revisionist history, maybe. I don't know. Let me put it this way: If Evan Turner's on your team, you won't win it that much anyway. <laughs> Uh, what a way to wrap up the morning show here on a Thursday morning. It's been a great week so far, but hey, we got more. Make sure you are coming back tomorrow morning, same time, same place, right here on Sports Empire Network, because this is the place that you want to be for all of your sports news, your sports reactions, your sports highlights, and everything in the world of sports talk. Mo, it's been a pleasure as always. The last 15 seconds are yours. Take us out, sir. Appreciate everybody in the chat. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you share me and Chris. And we'll see you guys tomorrow on Coffee Sports in the morning. Check out the Empire and all the great content we have to put out there for you guys to enjoy.